we've, we've finished, uh, just finished a series called Rethink Generosity. We've, we've been looking at what it means to be generous, and uh, we, we want to be people that don't do generous things. We want to be generous people. And so Rich ended off Legacy September last week, uh, ended off Rethink Generosity. And if you missed any of the messages, jump onto our website, anthem.org.za. All of the sermons are there. Wherever you watch podcasts, they are available there. If you want to be a generous person, not only somebody who does generous things, that's a great place to begin. If you miss something, go and grab it, go and listen. And uh, we jump straight in this week uh, back to our anchor series for the year, which is The Apprentice. We're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, And a man by the name of uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is a British theologian and uh, a scholar and and an author, and he says this about Christianity. The Christian ideal has been tried has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and so left untried. It hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been uh, tried, it, <laughs> it's been found difficult and so left untried. And so today I want to speak to those of us who have found our faith difficult at this time, to those of us who are struggling perhaps with faith and doubt. And I want to be honest, I sometimes struggle with doubt. I do. I doubt myself. Sometimes, doubt myself often, I doubt other people sometimes, and to be honest, I sometimes even doubt God. I know that I shouldn't, I know that I should never doubt his character and his nature, but sometimes I do. And uh, the reason this message is important is because, because I doubt, and because I struggle sometimes with my faith and my doubt, I know that you do too, and so that's why this message today is important. And so we, we, uh, we carry on with the Apprentice series, which has got three goals. We said the goal of being an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, is geared around three goals, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. And so we, we continue today. So I, I think doubt is one of the most insidious of evils. You know the word insidious? Insidious means this. It's subtle. And it, it's gradual, but it's got very harmful effects. And isn't that exactly what, what doubt is? It subtly comes into our lives, and if we listen to it, if we give it uh, any attention, uh, it begins a gradual takeover of every part of our lives. You know what I realized? If I allow doubt into one area of my life, if, it's subtly, if I listen to its subtle voice in one area of my life, and I begin to doubt, what happens is I begin to doubt other things. So there's a gradual takeover. As soon as I allow doubt in one area, doubt starts to permeate other areas of my life. And I find myself, things that I once believed, things that I once was sure of, I'm now doubting for no other reason other than doubt is an insidious evil that subtly creeps into our lives and then causes a doubt and, and it gradually extends into other areas of our lives. And so that's what I want to, uh, what I, what I want to deal with today, and I'm not talking about a, I'm talking about a very specific doubt here. I think there's helpful doubt and there's unhelpful doubt. For example, I doubt my ability to perform surgery on somebody. I doubt my ability to land a plane in an emergency situation, right? In those situations, it's okay to doubt myself. Likewise, I doubt most of your ability to perform surgery on me. If you say, don't worry, I got this. You can trust me to perform surgery. If you're not a doctor, I most likely won't trust you and I will doubt you. Likewise with landing a plane, I'm gonna, I'm gonna doubt you. So sometimes there's healthy doubt in myself. Sometimes there's healthy doubt in others. I'm not speaking about that today. I'm speaking about those who are struggling with doubt in their faith, doubting the quality and the advantage of their faith. Uh, that's what I wanna speak about today. And so I, I wanna help you to realize that although some people think that faith and doubt are two sides of the same coin. I want to help you to understand today that faith and doubt are not two sides of the same coin. See, friends, if we see faith and doubt as two sides of the same coin, what that means is 
uh, when I f- that coin needs to be flipped. And so today I flip it and it lands on faith and so I believe in something. But tomorrow I flip it and it lands on doubt. And then the thing that I had faith for yesterday, today I have doubt for. And then tomorrow I flip again. And every day my faith becomes down to a coin toss. Doubt or faith, doubt or faith. It's, they're not... T- they are not two sides of the same coin, friends. How I see faith and doubt, uh, I believe that doubt is a poor mirror reflection of faith. And the reason I say that is because I think doubt uh, is actually just misplaced faith. I doubt because I've placed my faith in the wrong place. Doubt is misplaced faith. It's not two sides of the same coin. It's a mirror image of faith because it's misplaced faith. And that's what I, that's what I believe doubt is today. You know the crazy thing? Doubt is not being certain of something or being unsure of something. It seems to me most of the things that uh, I doubt are the things that are most known to me. I don't doubt the unknown. So as a Christian, I have faith for the unknown. For the things that I don't know, I've got faith for those things. I don't doubt the unknown. I don't struggle with that. To me, what it appears like in my life is the only things, the things that I doubt the most and are most often are the things that are known to me which is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And yet, and yet that's what I do. So some people have more faith in the unknown than in the known because that's what doubt does. When you, what you sow in doubt, you reap in confusion. The fruit of doubt is confusion. So the enemy doesn't necessarily want or need to kill you. What the enemy wants to do is cause doubt to come in so that he can sow confusion and that he can keep you paralyzed. So when everything is up in the air as it is at the moment, everything is uncertain, uh, what we're looking for is something, that we, is something that is stable, something that we can trust. If you're not a person of faith, you're not going to have much faith and much trust and much hope in the unknown. And so you're going to be left grappling for stability in the, thing, the things that you know, something that is known to you. The problem is, if you have let doubt erode everything that you knew, everything that you once knew, if you've let doubt erode that, you have no stability to anchor your faith to because doubt has eroded it. Remember we said that what we sow in doubt, we reap in confusion, and that then paralyzes our faith. So we've sown doubt, it's eroded what we, what we, what we once knew, we now become confused about what we once knew, and then we reap paralyzed. Our faith is paralyzed and we're not able to action anything in our faith. But hasn't this been the enemy's plan all along? I think, in, in, I think it has. And I, we see in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, which is what, what is commonly referred to as the fall of man. We see Genesis 1 and 2, God is creating and creates man. Genesis 3, you, you, you might know the story. It's in the Garden of Eden. It's Adam and Eve. It's the, the devil appearing as a serpent. And it's the first time we get a picture of evil in this created world. And uh, as, as the devil appears for the first time, as evil appears, he lays forth, uh, he plays all his cards in the table. His whole strategy is, is laid out for, for, for everybody to see. And it's this, he causes, he sows doubt. He says to Eve, first of all, uh, is that really what God says? And so Eve listens to the doubt and it then begins, she begins to reap confusion. And, and, and so the serpent says to her, actually, when God said that, he didn't have your best interests at heart. That's why he said that. And so Eve listens to the insidious uh, subtle, gradual creep of doubt, and so she reaps confusion, which ultimately leads to her destruction, right? And, and I see that in my life all the time. Not all the time. I see that in my life every now and again. If I don't stop doubt, while it's still doubt, it comes, becomes, I reap the fruits of confusion, and then it will end in destruction every single time a coconut. A man called Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, we hear the serpent's whisper in hundreds of ways, each of which has the same desired end, to silence the clear, 
straightforward word of God. So we hear a whisper in our ear and we allow that doubt to worm its way in. What it does is it makes it hard to live a life of following Jesus. It makes it very difficult for us to be an apprentice, for us to be a disciple, for us to be a follower of Jesus. Remember, the Christian ideal hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and so left untried. I believe that there's a few areas that we've allowed doubt to sow confusion into our faith at this time, and I'd like to help us to navigate our way through it. So if you're sitting perhaps at home and your faith feels certain, your faith is strong, you're saying to me, John, I actually don't identify with what you're saying, that's awesome. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I'm going to ask of you. What is your faith worth to you? What value do you attach to your faith? So as a follower of Jesus, this is what I have to settle in my heart. My greatest accomplishments in the faith are going to go unnoticed, and my greatest sacrifice in the faith are going to go unnoticed and unappreciated. If that's true, if my greatest accomplishments in the faith and my greatest sacrifices in the faith are going to go unnoticed and unappreciated, will I allow that to cause doubts to the value of my faith? Do I still value my faith as much if it's going to go unnoticed and unappreciated? Do I still value it as much, or do I cause that to doubt the value of my faith in my life? And so, um, I think that the same subtle, gradual doubt that erodes the faith of those who are struggling can erode the faith of those whose faith is strong, just in other ways. So what I, I believe that what I have to say today uh, applies to all of us, to those who are struggling with faith and doubt, but also to those who consider their faith strong and stable. And so a few things that I've observed over the last season that look subtle, and yet if we allow them to take root, like doubt, they eventually paralyze our faith. And my goal today is that I would help you to place a value on your faith, to realize the value of your faith and to place a value on it. And then I'd like to help you identify some of the seemingly subtle things that don't seem big at the time, but if we let them in, they will begin to paralyze the end goal that is to paralyze our faith. And so we're going to anchor ourselves today in James chapter 1. And so it'll come up on the screen. It says this from verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and they're enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Jump down to verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
So I get that that's a bit of a long passage of Scripture, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick out a couple of points from that Scripture um, specifically where I, I believe that subtle doubts and subtle uh, changes have been made to our faith, which if we allow them to go unchecked, will 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 bear the fruits of confusion and ultimately end in the paralyzing of our faith. Our faith has to be active. If, it's, if our faith is paralyzed and static, friends, it is worth nothing. It has to be active. And so I want to address a couple of things uh, today. Number one, verse two, it says this, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I, I, I think that too many people view the testing of their faith as a punishment. Friends, when our faith is tested, it's not a punishment. It's to produce something in us. What if we allow the testing of our faith to produce perseverance? See, all of our faith has been tested at this time because we haven't been able to meet as we normally would. We haven't been able to gather as we normally would. Our kids are in distress. Our kids are under pressure. Our varsity students are under pressure. Some of us have lost jobs. Uh, all of our lives are in upheaval at the moment. Our faith has been tested. If we view a test as a punishment, we are never going to allow it to produce fruit. We're never going to allow it to produce the fruit of patience and of perseverance in our lives. See, the, the testing of your faith is not a test that most people fail. The testing of your faith is a test that most people don't take. If you took it and failed, that's fine. You just take it again and keep, keep taking it until you pass. The problem is that most people don't take the test so think, dream with me. Think of your dream destination. Uh, perhaps it's a, an amazing water park, the biggest slides in the world. Uh, where it, dream activity, a dream destination. For me, it's the side of the Mara River, watching the wildebeest migration, getting, getting smashed by crocodiles and lions, get, watching all the wildebeest and zebra get eaten. That's my dream destination. To be honest, anywhere wild in Africa, I'm in. Think of that place, wherever that place or activity is. Now imagine uh, it was, there, were, there was no entry fee for you to get in there. It was free to get in. It was free to get to it. Airfares covered, no entry fee, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't have to take leave from work or school. It was free. The only thing is, was there was an, is, there's an entry exam. Would you take that exam? Of course you would. Would you take it or would you say, oh, I've, I've got a lot, of, a lot of other tests that I need to learn for and these tests are also pretty important, and so this exam, I'm not sure if I take No, of course you'd take it. If you failed it, would you take it again? Of course you would. If, if your getting into your dream destination was contingent on you passing an exam or a test, you would keep taking that test until you passed it and you can get in, right? You know how I know that's true? Because it's what I did. I was, as a student, I hated learn. As a young guy, I hated learning. I hated studying. I hated exams because I thought they were there to punish me. Exams were a punishment. They were a stick for my back. I hated them. Until I turned 17, and then my learner's test was on the horizon, and then my driver's was on the horizon. All of a sudden, I became the most studious young 17-year-old you'd ever seen. I was studying well. Why? Because I didn't see my learner's test as a stick for my back, as a punishment. I saw my learners as a key to unlock something that I desired. What if we looked at the test of our faith, not as a punishment, but as a key to unlock something that is desirable for us? James says, let your faith be tested. Keep pushing in that it may produce perseverance. And then if you, if you produce perseverance, you'll be mature and complete and you will lack nothing. Friends, surely that is the desire. That is the goal. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. That is the, the test of your faith is the key to unlock that in your faith. See, but what I have to do is keep showing up on exam day. 
don't bunk on exam day. That's the golden rule. You can bunk on double PE and geography day. Don't bunk on exam day. If you miss, if you miss the exam, you're not going to get the marks and you're not going to get the entry to the thing that you desire, right? You have to show up on exam day for your test. The problem is, as I said, most people are not failing the test of their faith. They're simply not showing up for their faith to be tested. Let the testing of your faith produce perseverance in you. Don't allow doubt to keep you at home on exam day. A man called Matthew Henry says this, extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trial of extraordinary graces. Extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes they are the trial of extraordinary graces. Number two, um, from verse six, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave uh, of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So the picture that is given of, is of a windswept sea, and uh, this is filmed on the day that this is filmed in Durban, South Africa. It is, the wind is pumping, absolutely pumping outside. The sea is basically like uh, a big washing machine. It's terrible. Uh, I think Cape Town sent us most of their wind uh, and their sea, but that's fine. Uh, so here's what happened to me. I love bird watching, and I, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to do something that didn't come up very often. We were going to do a bird watching trip on a boat. I, I had to go and look at pelagic birds from St. Lucia into the Mozambique Channel uh, in a day, there and back, which is, which is okay, it's not something that happens very often, and so it was an opportunity that I took. I jumped on it. Uh, it's quite a sacrifice for me. Obviously, it's, uh, it's finances, but I get super seasick. And so I basically spend 9, 10, 11 hours hanging over the side of the boat, uh, paying a lot of money to hang over the side of the boat, hoping that I'll see a rare bird, which we didn't even do. Uh, so I got sick, actually. I was standing on the boat before it even touched the sand. I was sick at that stage, so you must know the price that I paid. Anyway, anyway uh, the, as we launched from the town of St. Lucia, we launched, we, we launched from the beach at St. Lucia, there was a land breeze blowing. So the wind was coming from our backs, uh, pushing us forward. And so as we hit out, obviously the ground swells are coming in to shore, but all the wind swells are going with the wind, right? So as soon as we got through the breakers, once we were through that, uh, we were going with the wind, more or less the same speed as the wind. And so we didn't notice the wind because it was going with us at the same speed. Likewise, we didn't notice the waves because we were going in the same direction as them. All of that changed when we hit the Mozambique Channel because then we stopped. As we stopped, all of a sudden, the waves started buffeting our boats, banging us. All of a sudden, the wind was, where did this howling wind come from? It had always been there all along. The problem was, it had just been pushing us forward, and we'd been going with it, and so we were unaware of it. Friends, what is the point? It's easy to have faith if you are changing your values and what you have faith in, and what your faith means to you all the time. So if you... James says, if you doubt, you are like a man who's blown in the wind. So it's easy for us to... Uh, to go with the wind, it's easy for us to go with the waves. The problem is, here's where the problem came. Not only when we stopped, we then realized our destination was we had to get back to St. Lucia where our cars were. And we, the skipper said to us, guys, this is going to be doable in the, number, in the amount of hours of daylight we have. It's going to take us four to five hours longer to get back because we're now going against the waves. We're going against the wind. So we ended up in Richards Bay and had to drive a car around to St. Lucia because that was quicker. So if, you, if your faith is going with the waves, easy, fine, everything's good. The problem is you're not getting to a destination. What is the destination of your faith? The destination of your faith is for, to lead other people to life. 
So you can go, if your faith, if you're flopping around, if you're doubting, if there's no faith, you, you're not getting hit by the waves, you're not getting hit by the wind, but you're also not getting to your destination. If you want to lead people to life, friends, you've got people watching your lives. Every one of you have people watching your lives and taking courage from the faith that you have. If your faith is moving around with the waves, with the wind, it's never going to reach its destination of leading those people to life. You have to go to lead people to life, to get to a destination, to get back to St. Lucia. You have to get hit by the waves and hit by the wind every time a coconut. Let your faith be stable. Number three, uh, verse 19, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So I think we live in a social and a political climate where this is absolutely eroding our faith at the moment. Put your hand up if you know somebody who's lost an argument with a Christian and so therefore become a Christian. I really hope there was somebody sitting in their lounge who considered raising their hand at that time. Let's see. James says, human anger does not produce Righteousness. Human anger does not produce righteousness. This should be governing our social media. This should be governing, uh, I loved what Sish was saying, this should be governing our phone. This should, be get, this should be governing our social interactions. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness. It's all, it's all good and well for us to show up on exam day for the exam, but we also know that we do not write our exams the best when we are angry. So don't, write, don't show up angry for your exam. Number four, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So it's a fear of mine that at this time what's happened to people's faith is that we have an inability to keep a tight rein on our tongues. I'm not very into horses. I don't do horse riding at all. Uh, I have ridden a horse twice in my life. The first one was when I was about eight in an animal park, in in an animal farm. And the second time was on a honeymoon with my wife. So she wanted, we were in the berg and she wanted to ride a horse. And all of us know that honeymoon is not the best time to argue with your wife. And so I said, sure, let's go for a horse ride. And off we, I got on the horse and here's here's the first thing I learned. Holding the the horse on a tight rein is going to feel too tight. It feels too tight. But it, it, it has to be that tight. Because as soon as you give that horse any looseness in the, in the rain, what happens is it begins to look. It, lo- it looks to the right and it sees some delicious grass. It looks in front of it and it sees a horse that it either wants to kick or bite or run away from. And it looks on that side and it sees a path that looks far more interesting than the path that you're on. And so as you begin to give a looseness to the horse's reins, so it becomes harder to control. Friends, James says, keep a tight rein on your tongues. As the, as, uh, the looser your rein is on the horse, the harder it is to control the horse. The looser your rein on your tongue is, the harder it is to control your faith. Keep a tight rein on your tongues. And it's going to feel, it's going to feel, it feels too tight for the horse. It's going to feel too tight. The rein that I'm keeping on my tongue is too tight. It feels like I have to think of every word before I say it. Well, you do. Every word that you say carries meaning, carries weight. There's life and death in your tongue. Your words create, your words destroy, your words build up, your words tear down. Keep a tight rein, friends, in your tongues. The harder, the the looser the rein in your tongue is, the harder it is for you to control your faith. And lastly, number five, from verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires, and they're enticed. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. This word enticed, enticed is the smell of a wood-fired pizza oven on a fasting day. 
You know that smell? It entices you. It's, it sucks you in. It, it draws your attention and puts your focus off your fast and onto the wood-fired pizza that smells like, it, it smells so good and it sucks you in. That's what James says our desire does to us. It entices us. It put, takes our attention and it puts it on something. That desire gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. I think the number one enticement of our faith in this season is that we would choose connection over community. And so we've just come through a season where we've had to fight for connection. BJ and the youth guys, uh, their saying over the whole lockdown period was fight for connection. And I loved it. It's right. We had to fight for connection. But friends, as we come out of this time, as we come out of a hard lockdown, we've, we cannot settle for connection. We have to fight for community. See, connection is easy. I can connect and I can disconnect as easily. Connection is, uh, is clean and it costs me nothing because I can connect, I can turn off my camera and my microphone and I can go make a coffee when it's inconvenient for me to be there and people think that I've connected. Community, on the other hand, is hard. Community is messy, it is dirty, it is inconvenient and it costs us. It's hard. But community is the soil that our faith grows in. We have to fight for community, not only connection. Don't settle, don't be enticed by connection over the value of community. We made a decision a couple of weeks ago that uh, our online service would not only be a connection point, that we wanted to be a community. And so it, the community gathers at anthemchurch.tv. If you have found us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on our website, wherever you found us, our community gathers on anthemchurch.tv. Come there and be a part of our community. And if you're already on that site, don't, uh, don't just connect. Begin to engage. Begin to build a community. We, we want to see life groups meeting in people's houses around the world. We want to see uh, online integration, growth track uh, happening for a community to be formed online. Not just a con- Our online service is not a connection point. It is a community. So push into it. Email us, info at anthem.org.za. We want to help you take your next step into community. Friends, Don't keep flipping a coin with faith and doubt. Today faith, tomorrow doubt. Today faith, tomorrow doubt. Faith and doubt are not the opposite sides of a coin. Place a correct value on your faith. It's going to cost you. Your greatest achievements in the faith and your greatest sacrifices in the faith are not going to be appreciated and are not going to be noticed. Show up on exam day. Make sure that you're there on exam day. Don't bunk the test of your faith because it will produce perseverance in you. Don't take the test angry. Be prepared to go against the wind and the waves for the sake of the destination of your faith. Keep a tight rein on your tongue and don't be enticed by connection at the expense of community. Friends, I'd love to pray for us. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that our doubt doesn't negate your love. Thank you that you love us through our doubts and no matter what the quality of our faith is. I thank you that as we follow Jesus, that we would become men and women who rightly value their faith, who are not ashamed of our doubts, but who also refuse to listen to them and give them any sort of authority for one second. We believe that you are who you say you are and that you are good. We say that we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.